Well, it's so good to be here with you, and uh, for those of you who know me personally, thank you so much for your partnership in our lives and ministry. Uh, I think the first time that we were in this church was around 20 years ago, and so 20 years have passed, and uh, yes, Pastor Keith, we are old. We've entered that category of we're older than we were at least, uh, but we're so grateful for this church and your partnership with us uh, in life and ministry. It's just not about uh, being sent as missionaries, it's about you guys coming alongside of us as a family, uh, really walking alongside of us as our family has grown, uh, spiritually, physically, in so many different ways. And um, this church has opened a home for us. We live in the missions house just down the road, and that is a huge, huge blessing uh, to us and our family while we're back in the States. And our season here in the States is about half over. We still have about six months and uh, we're looking forward over the next six months to getting to know many more of you over these next few months. Um, I just want to really quickly share about a recent trip that I took to South Asia. I was in India for about two weeks uh, earlier this month, and uh, many of you have been praying for us. Uh, many of you contributed financially to that need, and so I just wanted to share a quick report on that. So if you could show that picture up there on the, on the slide. So I went to India uh, early part of November, and uh, the objective of going to India, the main objective was to train nationals. And so we had an opportunity to come alongside 120 uh, national pastors that are spread throughout the country of India. And here's what's amazing about this. We spent five days training them uh, on multiplication principles, gospel principles, uh, discipleship best practices. And so you see here pictured uh, just a few of those men. And every single one of the men that were there um, gave oversight to at least five different house churches. Uh, so if you just do some simple math, uh, 120 pastors, five house churches, around 600 uh, house churches represented right there at this meeting. And just a wonderful time with them, uh, just, just helping them understand some biblical principles uh, to take home back to their villages and apply those principles. Well, one thing we got to do as well, if you want to show that next picture, is we got to go out and really participate in some of the, the house churches. And a house church is, is, that's what it is. It's a church in a house. And on average, these house churches are about 20 people. And uh, it was just a joy to visit those house churches, uh, spend time with them, uh, hear personal stories of persecution, uh, difficulty, and trials. And uh, the poorest of the poor of the world were there uh, in these, these house churches. And if you do, do the math, once again, about 600 house churches represented, and on average, about 20 people each one of those house churches. So it was definitely a, a trip that uh, impacted my life, but at the same time, it was an opportunity to impact many different lives. Uh, just in a few nights of visiting these house churches and presenting the gospel message, just clearly and plainly, uh, the Lord allowed us to see 88 professions of faith just, just in a few days. So God is working around the world, and he is working in ways that uh, just, just blow the imagination, just are mind-boggling. Uh, India is a country of 1.5 billion people, and there are over 2,000 uh, specific language groups just in the country of India, uh, half of which have no portion of scripture translated into their local dialect. And uh, folks, this is 
one of the places of the greatest need uh, on the face of the planet uh, today. And so you prayed for that. You joined us in prayer and collaborated with us as we went on this. So I just wanted to share a quick update on that trip. Now let's turn our attention to scriptures today. And we're going to look at Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Share a secret, a missions secret with you. Generally, when a missionary comes back to the States on furlough, uh, he prepares two or three messages, and then he just preaches those same messages everywhere he goes. Okay? Uh, I've been to a lot of churches where they've said, well, it, wow, it seems like you memorized that message. And then I tell them, well, I've preached it 30 times. Okay? But this message, uh, the Lord gave me these verses uh, when I was on this trip to India. And so as I was there, I had a lot of time in the, in the, in the mornings and in the evenings just to kind of dive into God's word. And you know, as, as I was kind of living and breathing uh, the moment that God had me in, uh, these are some verses that he, he laid on my heart to, to bring to you today. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Now, when they had gone throughout Persia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man from Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, as we come to your word here this morning, uh, we just ask that you speak to our hearts, transform our minds, transform the way we think, the way we feel, the way we do things. Lord, just transform us just at the core of our being and allow us to go out from here, Lord, different than the way we came. Lord, we commit this message and this passage unto you and producing us the fruit that pleases you. In your name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to talk about God's leading and our response. God's leading and our response. And yes, it is a missions message. We're in the thick of the Christmas season. And um, if you're here this morning and you think a missions message doesn't fit within the dynamic of the Christmas month, you're mistaken because Christmas is missions, and missions is Christmas. Jesus Christ was born. Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible tells us he came to preach the gospel. That's why he was born. He came to shoulder and burden the sins of all of us, all of humanity. He came to serve, not to be served. And as he was sent, he said, so send I you. So yeah, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ, 
but Christmas is about our new birth in Christ. Christmas is about us being sent out as ambassadors for Christ. Christmas is about us carrying the message of reconciliation that we've experienced and that we also proclaim. So as we consider this text here today, don't be mistaken, it is a Christmas message because a Christmas message is about reconciliation. A Christmas message is about God's leading and our response. As we think about this passage here today, it comes at a pivotal point in the Apostle Paul's ministry. You know, after his conversion, we see that he spends almost 14 years back in his hometown of Tarsus. I want you to think about that for a second. 14 years back in Tarsus. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did during that time, but surely God was preparing him, preparing his heart, preparing his mind. There was a season in which God said, just stay right here and grow deep before you try to go wide with the gospel message. At the same time that he was in his hometown of Tarsus, two unnamed Christians boldly proclaimed the gospel message in a city called Antioch. We see that in Acts 11.20. And as a result of those two unnamed Christians boldly proclaiming the gospel message, we have the birth of a church in the city of Antioch. The news of that travels throughout the region, and it reaches Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, they decide to send Barnabas. Barnabas, he arrives on the scene in Acts chapter 11 at that church at Antioch, and he sees the grace of God working in the lives of people. And he goes after Saul, Paul of Tarsus, and he brings him back. And the Bible tells us that for an entire year, Paul and Barnabas preached and taught the word of God at this church at Antioch. A few chapters later, after this church has grown and developed, those two are sent out of Antioch as missionaries. And it's the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. You know, the first missionary journey took roughly four years from chapter 13 all the way to the end of chapter 14. And at the end of that first missionary journey, this is what we see in Acts 14, 27. It says this, when they were come, they gathered the church together, and that's what we're doing here today. We're gathering together. So when Paul and Barnabas came to the end of their first missionary journey, they had a worship service. They had a church service. And it says this in verse 27, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. Now, I like that word rehearsed because it gives us the idea of a, a theater, a rehearsal, a play. In other words, they played out what God had done. And I can just imagine Paul and Barnabas acting it out. Paul explaining and Barnabas explaining so they could visually communicate the church that was gathered all that God had done. And then it says that they saw God open the door of faith into the Gentiles, verse 27. And verse 28 says this, and there they abode a long time with the disciples. So at the end of that first missionary journey, 
Paul and Barnabas come home. They share about what God has done. And that's kind of why missionaries come home. That's why we're here. So we can spend some time with the church and rub shoulders with many of you, hoping that maybe the contagiousness of what we experience on the field will rub off and encourage you to continue persevering in your faith. Well, the long time referenced in verse 28 was actually about a year. They spent a year there. And then we see this in Acts 15, 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Now look at this, with many others also. And some days after, said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. It's interesting to consider here in Acts 15 that there are others who are now able to teach and preach the word of God. The church at Antioch had grown, it had blossomed, and Paul and Barnabas, they worked themselves out of a job. They were no longer needed. Bible doesn't tell us this, but maybe this is why Paul and Barnabas decided to move on. The church now had leaders, and they weren't needed. This is where we see Paul and Barnabas in that argument where Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul opposes that, and they split up. Paul then forms a new team of Silas, Barnabas, I'm sorry, Silas, Timothy, and later on, Luke. And as they move out of Antioch, they face a huge dilemma, uncertainty. And that's where we get into the text here, our main text that we read. They were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to go into a certain area of service. In fact, the text tells us two different times that the Holy Spirit actually forbade Paul to do something that we normally think of as good, preaching the word, sharing the gospel. There's certainly nothing wrong with Paul's desire to preach the word, but it wasn't God's time. So he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It's difficult to say exactly how that manifested itself to Paul. Maybe the Holy Spirit said no to him and his spirit. Maybe it was opposition. Maybe it was a closed door of opportunity. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us that. When he attempted to go into Asia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Bible says the Spirit did not permit them. After to go to one place, another place, we find out that they end up in a place called Troas in our text today. Paul didn't set out to go here, but this is where he found himself. It was his last choice. He had a strong desire to serve. He was knocking on doors, but every door was closing. Now, oftentimes when we consider doors that are closed and we consider the difficulty it is to serve the Lord, we mistake and we confuse the difficult circumstances that we're called to persevere through as being the same as circumstances designed by the Holy Spirit to keep us from doing something contrary to His will. An example of this is David Livingston, the great missionary, wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, 
but God eventually sent him to India. Adoniram Judson went to India, but God guided him to Burma. In each of these circumstances, God closed a door. But after opening the door, they were still asked to overcome just unimaginable circumstances through perseverance and faith and their dependence on God and His inexhaustible grace. So today's message, as we dive into the text, is about God's leading and our response. So let's look once again at those two verses, verses 9 and 10. Acts 16, 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Today in this text, we're going to look at four different things. First, an urgent plea. Secondly, an immediate response. Thirdly, a collective effort. And then lastly, a focused mission. First, an urgent plea. The verse tells us that a man from Macedonia, this was a vision, said, come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 19. You know, the Bible doesn't say that Paul dreamed. It doesn't even say that Paul was sleeping. It says it happened in the night and it was a vision. A vision in the night. You know, the vision is what Paul saw and what God wanted him to see. Supernatural and natural visions are really a means by which God has revealed himself throughout all of time. You know, in Acts chapter 11, we see Barnabas walking through Paul's front door and saying, hey, come and help me in Antioch. In this passage, Acts 16, a man from Macedonia appeared to Paul in the night and said, come help in Europe, in Macedonia. Both of these are God-ordained. Too often we look for the supernatural vision while neglecting the natural visions, the things that beckon our attention and highlight the urgency of the need around us all the time. You know, I remember when I was a young man trying to discern God's call in my life. You know, you can do a lot of things. And even in ministry, you can do a lot of things. You can be a youth pastor. You can pursue to pastor uh, a local church. Uh, you can serve in a camp ministry. You can serve in counseling ministry. There's so many different areas that you can serve the church. And I remember as a young person, God, just, just reveal it to me in a dream. You know, it's, it's our tendency to want a sign, to want the supernatural. Yet I remember a missionary coming alongside of me, a physical person, a real person, not a dream, not a vision look at me and speak truth into my life and say, hey, there's a need, and you could meet this need. The Bible says vision in the night. Oftentimes, what you aim at determines what you see. Your highest aim 
is to see the glory of God as Paul's was to advance the gospel among the peoples of this world. If that is your highest aim, then you will begin to see doors of opportunity within your reach to advance the gospel. Paul's highest aim was exactly that, to see the glory of God advance throughout the world. And therefore, he sought out opportunities that to him were clear opportunities. Yet God hindered him in his search to fill those needs. He was knocking on doors. He was seeking out opportunities. And God said, no, close some doors. But eventually, God said, yes, and opened doors. God did this through an urgent plea. If you look at the text, it says this, the man from Macedonia prayed him. The idea here is an urging or an imploring. You know, the man from Macedonia isn't praying to him. He's imploring. The idea is of a groveling, begging him with a a sense of urgency. The idea of come and help is come join, assist. Literally means to carry or shoulder a burden with. God did this, the vision, through an urgent plea. And this urgent plea came in the night. Interestingly, the night is, symbolically speaking in scriptures, a place of uncertainty. It's dark. We don't know what's going on. Yet Paul finds himself in the night, and this is where maybe he's uncertain. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I can tell you from my own personal experience from having navigated a situation like this before. I can imagine Paul with a hand-drawn map spread out on the floor. Maybe a portion of God's word in one hand. I can imagine him wrestling with God. Saying, what do I do next? I've done everything within my means. I've pursued this lead. I've pursued that lead. Maybe God just allows him to sit there in silence. And for many of us, that's very difficult. To face the silence of not hearing the voice of God or a clear direction from God, but learning to rest in his providence and his grace. To rest in the fact that he is in control and that we're mere instruments in his hands. I can imagine Paul putting to death his plan and his will. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but maybe it was his will to go into those other places. You know, teenagers and young people, we think we know what God's plan for our life is. But many times, that's twisted because of our own selfish desire. You know, I don't know what was going through Paul's mind, but I do know that the vision of an urgent plea came in the night. The vision came at that moment. The vision came when Paul was at the end of himself. It came in the night. The urgent plea not only came in the night, but the urgent plea came to give sight, to give direction, to bring clarity. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all night heart. Lean not 
unto thine own understanding. You know, we know that verse. We try to rationalize what decision makes the most sense for our lives, for our family, for the local church. But then the verse says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Oftentimes that path comes to us through an urgent plea in which it doesn't make sense and we're asked to simply obey. It's interesting that this urgent plea that came to give sight, it just says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Where became clear, Macedonia. But the what to do was really unqualified. It could have been anything. It was unquantified. It could have been everything. Paul simply had to step out in faith and say, you know what? I don't know what lies through this door. I may be asked to do things that I'm not comfortable with, but that's the door that God's presenting to me. Not only do we see an urgent plea, but let's look at the Apostle Paul's response. Look what it says. It says this in verse 20. Immediately, we endeavored to go. Now, you know what immediately means in the original language? It just means immediately. It means right now. It means no hesitation or delay. It means straightway. You know, oftentimes when it becomes clear to us what God wants us to do with our lives, unless we are immediately responsive, we get distracted. We get pulled away in a thousand different directions by other things. We oftentimes rationalize a different approach. We justify our approach by our own understanding of what we think to be right or wrong. We then build a coalition of people who are going to support that wrong decision, albeit good to us in our own eyes, instead of immediately, without hesitation or delay, obeying. It's interesting here that it says endeavoring. So the immediate response and then the endeavoring sought out or worked to make it happen. So they're trying to find ways to immediately work out God's call for their lives. I think it's very interesting that this is very similar to the language that we see in a different portion of Scripture. If you want to look in Isaiah 50, verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7 is one of the passages that uh, speaks to the suffering Savior. And it's one of the passages that foretells some of the things that Jesus goes through in his ministry. And it says this in Isaiah 50, verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. So that phrase there, set my face like a flint, really points to Luke 9.51, where it says this about Jesus, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That idea of set my face like a flint and set my face to go to Jerusalem. Well, what's the parallel? 
Well, the idea is that there was an unwavering commitment to, the, to do the revealed will of God. That's it. As Jesus Christ understood the will of the Father, the cross, the suffering. He was unwavering in his commitment to obey the will of the Father. In a similar fashion, we see the Apostle Paul here immediately endeavored. He set his face like a flint. He set his face to Macedonia. This immediate response was in faith to God's revealing. You know, we understand general revelation and special revelation, but here particular or specific revelation regarding his life and what God wanted him to do in that specific moment, discerning what God is calling me to do and what you to do is oftentimes the most difficult thing we can do or are called to do in our Christian life. But this immediate response, not only in faith to God's revealed will, it was an obedience to God's directed will. God revealed, this is what I want you to do. God revealed how he wanted him to do it. His directing is the where, when, how. God is calling me to do something. The reality of God has called you to be precedes what God calls you to do. Let me repeat that. The reality of who God has called you to be precedes what God calls you to do, which precedes how God directs you to do it. Not only do we see an urgent plea, come over and help. Not only do we see an immediate response on the part of the Apostle Paul, but thirdly here in verse 20, we see a collective effort. A collective effort. It's interesting here that the Apostle Paul, he's the one that received this vision. There's no indication in scriptures that the group of men, which was Silas, Timothy, and Luke, there's no indication that all of them saw this man or received this revelation. But it does say in this text here, in this verse, assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us. Assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm sure the Apostle Paul, after having this vision, he was with a group of guys that were extremely frustrated. They had just traveled from city to city, and they still didn't have a clear path as to what God would have them do. So in the middle of the night, maybe midnight, maybe 3 a.m., the Apostle Paul goes over and he shakes and wakes up those other guys. And he says, hey, I've got it. God showed me. And he explains to them what it is that God has revealed to them. Now, that's not in scriptures. I'm conjecturing here. But in some place, Paul shares that with those men. And the Bible says, assuredly, an assurance, gathering. It's in the plural. The idea is that there's a collective call. There's a collective call, even though there may be an individual effort along the way. You know, when we think about a collective call and an individual effort, we see that in other places of Scripture. And I'll give you an example, the Great Commandment. We see in the Great Command, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, 
with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, who is called to that? Well, all of us are called to that, but we can't collectively obey that or have an effort in that. We have to individually live that reality out of the great commandment as we go out of here, as we live our lives on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the rest of the week. What about the Great Commission? The Great Commission, there's an individual call and a collective effort. Think about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and to earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, who is that for? It's to all of us collectively, but it's lived out individually. So as an example, God specifically called me to Brazil. And today I serve in the Southern Cone, which is Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. A place that most of you, most of you, will never go. The place that I just showed you in India. We were out in the middle of nowhere. In an undisclosed place. Because of persecution. Most of you will never go there. Yet, you've said as a church, assuredly, gathering that God has called us to this. When you took me on as a missionary 20 years ago and said, hey, let's support Jonathan Matthews and his family as they go to Brazil. You said assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. God's called Jonathan specifically, but he's called all of us collectively. And the idea of the collective effort, effort is essential to our understanding to what God calls us to do. So you have here, you have four people. The Apostle Paul being the primary figure. He's the one that ultimately, when they go into Macedonia, preaches and teaches. He's the primary communicator. But Luke is no less important. Timothy, young Timothy, who was just apprenticing at the feet of the Apostle Paul. He's no less important. They collectively say, hey, this is what God has called us to. So we see an urgent plea. We see an immediate response. We see a collective effort. And lastly here, we see a focused mission. Look at verse 20, the last part. What were they collectively collaborating for? What was the urgent plea ultimately anchored on? What was the response tethered to? Very clearly and plainly at the end of verse 20, it says this, to preach the gospel unto them. The focus of this entire thing was to preach the gospel unto them. Just a quick commentary on preaching. It's interesting in Mark 138. Mark 138. I invite you to look at, look at that passage of Scripture. Mark 138. It says this. Jesus is speaking. He says this. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. 
Don't miss that. You know, we get sidetracked with a thousand different things that we think are central to our understanding of church, our Christian life. But this is the most central thing. This is the thing that drives our urgency. This is the thing that should drive our responsiveness. This is the thing that should drive our collective effort. It's, it's all about this, preaching the gospel. It's interesting in this verse, Mark 1.38, that Jesus is saying, this is why I came. This is why I came. Jesus Christ came, and we're in the Christmas season. He came, and he says it, that I may preach the gospel. Now, interestingly, Paul's revelation for him to do something in the next town over, or in this case, the next continent over, because he was going from Asia to Europe to preach the gospel. Matthew 9.35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Hey, here's the, here's the, the three things that we need to be about. Teaching, preaching, and healing. Don't be afraid of that word healing. It just It's felt needs. It's loving people. It's meeting them at their place of need. That's what Jesus did. That's what he commissioned the apostles to do. And that is what the church is to be about. Romans 10.14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And here it is. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How would the people of Macedonia hear without a preacher? Therefore, the vision who led to the response and Paul's declaration, we're going to preach. This focused mission, verse 20, when it says to preach the gospel unto them, really brings clarity on where to go and it brings clarity on what to do. It brings clarity of where to go and it brings clarity on what to do. In Paul's case here, the where to go was uh, a switch from uncertainty to, okay, it's Macedonia. Paul knocked on the doors within his reach. Those doors remained closed. Paul came to the end of himself in the night season, and God gave him a vision of where to go. Paul responded, yes. The team collectively said, yes. What to do to preach once again, we are to preach the gospel. You know, the gospel is the truth of who Jesus Christ is, of what Jesus Christ has done. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with Him. Romans 1.16 is, hey, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, we're coming to the end of this message as we land here and we apply this. I want to apply this. We're at the end of 2023. What opportunities of service 
have you pursued or are you pursuing for the new year? And I know this is a church that's very active. In fact, there's a lot of Sunday school classes, a lot of things going on throughout the week. But there's so many of you who could serve, who aren't serving. There's many of you who could go into the near community around here. There's many of you who could help out a church plant starting up just down the road. There's so many different opportunities for service. Here in a few minutes, we're going to be having a meeting over here about a mission trip to serve the Quechua in Peru. Many other mission trips probably will happen this next year. Regardless, where are you right now at the end of this year? What are you praying about as far as opportunities of service for the coming year? What vision are you waiting for? And oftentimes, that's where we're stuck. We're waiting for God to show us something. Interesting, the number of men and women, young and old, going to the mission field from the U.S. is diminishing year by year. Is it because God is no longer speaking? Or is it because we lack vision for what is truly urgent? Churches are turning inward in their focus around the country instead of outward to the needs of the world. Is it because we lack vision or because we lack really a sense for what truly is urgent? If you're in the nighttime of uncertainty and searching for how you may serve, uh, allow me for a second. Allow me for a second to be the Macedonia man. Because here it is, folks, every missionary that steps through this door and stands on this stage, he is the Macedonian man. Every Sunday school teacher and ministry leader that stands up here and says, hey, we need more volunteers, that is the Macedonian man. When we think of the needs of the world today, 8 billion people, 4 billion people have no access to the gospel message. Think about every second, two people die. They pass on into eternity. Yet four people are born every single second. In India alone, there are over 2,000 language groups, less than half of which have a portion of Scripture in their native dialect. Every single pastor that I met when I was there, all 120 of them, said the same thing. Will you help us? And oftentimes as Americans, we hear that and we think they just want money. But the truth is they just want somebody to come alongside of them, open God's word and teach them scripture. And I've been in most of the Sunday school classes in this church. And I can say confidently that every single Sunday school teacher in this church is well equipped to come alongside a national somewhere in the world one weekend a year and invest in them. And that could have a trickle-down effect that cascades for all eternity in lives being transformed forever through you saying yes. In South America, there are over 100 uncontacted, unengaged people groups. That simply means that no one is or has ever attempted to share the gospel message with them. That is a, a need, an urgent need from the man from Macedonia saying, who will go? 
In southern Cone of Argentina, Uruguay, and southern Brazil, there are over 500 small towns with no gospel witness. That simply means there's not a single church there that somebody could go to on a Sunday or any day of the week where the Bible is opened and the gospel clearly proclaimed. What is your individual or collective response to this vision? You know, there's a lot of responses. What do we do? Well, the truth is anything, something, just as long as we don't just remain where we're at. If we wait until we've satisfied all the uncertainties, it may be too late for someone somewhere. Church, the Macedonian man spoke through an urgent plea 2,000 years ago. Paul wrestled with that in the night season of his life and ministry. But when it became evident that that is what God would have him do, he didn't entertain other options. He immediately responded and said yes. The men around him collectively said, we're with you. And at the end of the day, a continent was transformed through the proclamation of the gospel. You may be here today and you've never made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, none of this is really for you. Because up until now, we've really just been speaking to God's people. Because what you're called to respond to is the gospel message. That you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And that what God requires of you, holiness, you cannot provide. But what he's required, he has provided in his son, Jesus Christ. Free to you, but at great cost to him who suffered and bled and died on the cross, yet rose again on the third day. And your part in it is simply to accept that in repentance and faith. Acknowledging your lostness and embracing Jesus' sufficiency for you. Every head bowed and eyes closed as we close here today, as we come to the end of this service. I'd like everybody to stand as we, in a moment here, ask you to respond to God's word. First and most importantly, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, understand this, that this life will soon be past. Our life is a mere vapor. At a blink of an eye, we're here and we're gone. And you will spend somewhere for all eternity. Why don't you today Humbly accept what Christ has done for you on the cross. The Bible teaches us and promises us that we pass from death into life. That we're given a new and living hope. And we're given a new and strong assurance of the things that will be our eternal life with Him. For the rest of us that are here, that we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. What is God calling you to? 
Maybe you're here today and it's been clear to you for some time that God is calling you to the mission field to serve as a missionary. You don't know where, when, how that's going to happen. And you know what? None of those things are necessarily important. What's important is placing your yes on the table and allowing God to place that yes on the map someplace. But maybe you're here today and you're a member of this church and you're just not serving him to full capacity. There's a need. There's a need in this church. There's a need in the community. And maybe he's calling you to something here today. As the brother sings, as the instruments play, I ask you to come down front and just do business with God. Dear Heavenly Father, work in hearts here this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen.